Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Heather Parody, and we're going to talk about how to bring newbies into your NFT project. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. And now for this week's interview with Heather Parody. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I am very excited to be joined by Heather Parody. If you don't know who Heather is, she's a Web3 community building strategist who works with brands on how to build, you guessed it, Web3 community. She's host of the Community Building and Web3 podcast. Heather, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. I love this podcast and binging through it. It's so valuable. So it's an honor to be here. Well, I'm very excited to have you. And today we're going to explore how to onboard newbies to an NFT project, because if you think about it, the whole world is kind of a newbie in the grand scheme of things. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, I want to start with your story, Heather. How in the world did you get into NFT? Start wherever you want to start. I've been asking myself that as well, because I swear one year ago today, July 7th, that we're recording this, if you would have told me that I would be hosting a podcast that used the word blockchain periodically, I probably would have cried. I'm like, that sounds so boring. What are you talking about? But NFTs, man, it entered my life at the end of July last year through a man named Gary Vaynerchuk. I was running down the road, minding my own business, listening to his podcast. And he was like, this thing called NFTs, man, it's going to change the world. Yeah, you know how he gets. He's super excited and convicted. And I've been following him for years. And when he said, trust me, if you need to go sell something, go sell it and get in on what I'm creating here. And he was alluding to his project called VFriends. I knew his content enough to know that he would not be that dramatic, that convicted, unless it was something that he really, really believed in. So I finished up my run. I came home and I told my husband, Brian, I said, Uncle Gary, he's been talking about these things called NFTs, and I don't understand what they are, but I think we need to get in. And Brian, he's been listening to Gary for a long time, too. He's like, I know. I've been hearing it, too. So we sit down at the computer and we look up, what is this NFT thing? And like most people, we saw a JPEG, these little crazy cartoons. <laughs> and then we saw the price tag on it. And I'm like, what? I'm going to spend $1,500 on some worm, a little 
cartoon worm? What are you talking about? And let's be honest. And it was like, it could have been drawn by like a five-year-old, right? I mean. For real, for real. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like not super, you know, risky people when it comes to finances and stuff. But again, back to the power of like personal branding and building community, which we're going to talk about. We trusted him. And so we bought our first NFT. And I don't recommend now people just trust people and buy NFTs, but we did. And so Long story short, I ended up starting a podcast with a friend of mine who had recently bought a World of Women NFT, and he didn't know what he bought. And so we said, let's make 24 podcast episodes and document us learning what we just did. And so we hit record, we pulled up Google, we ate snacks. Again, I don't recommend that from a production standpoint, but we didn't think anybody would listen to us. And then we just started seeing that number spike and spike and spike till January this past year, we hit quarter million downloads in one month, which is not normal for a newbie podcast. But this is the reason I'm saying that. To your point, Mike, there are more newbies out in this world than not. There are more people who have no idea what an NFT educated, well-meaning, brilliant people who have no clue what we're entering into. And so it's incredibly important for us as community builders and Web3 as advocates for this space to make room for the newbies because there's a lot of them out there. Okay, so you started this podcast, and what was the name of the podcast, by the way? NFTs for Newbies. And how long did you do that? For about a year? Eight months, 99 episodes. 99 episodes. And the premise of the show, the purpose of the show was to share just your experience, or was there more to it than that? We asked the questions others were embarrassed to ask. And so we kind of put ourselves in that newbie student position. You know, we talk a lot about, Gary talks a lot about documenting versus creating. And this was the first time that I actually stepped into that role and kind of saw the power of it. But we literally sought out answers that we were wondering the questions to. So we would have people on and they would say things like proof of stake, proof of work. And we're like, whoa, what do you mean by that? Like back it up just a little bit. We interrupted our guests a lot, you know, really from a genuine curiosity. But I think it was the willingness to kind of I don't want to say dumb things down because it's not a intelligence level, but willingness to, again, be a student and not have to be the guru. There's huge, huge power in that. And what ended up happening is we became advocates for a space that we didn't intentionally decide to become. I decided to long-term stick with this because I fell in love with this space. But yeah, now I'm really an advocate of education. You stopped the show a couple of months ago, or was it late last year? How long ago was it? And then what are you doing now? It was May. It was May. So about six weeks ago, the show came to an end and I sat with it for, I'm kind of like you, Mike, I'm a, I'm a mover. I move really fast. So I sat with it for about two days and was like, oh, what am I going to do now? But I decided to just leap back in and to see what value I personally could add. And as a previous mental health therapist, as a lover of people, as an extrovert, and I think I'm, you know, I've been told and I believe I'm really good at connecting with people. This idea of community building kept coming up in the show. 99 episodes, people would say, Web3 is all about building community, just like that. And I said, that sounds really cool. And I think most people could get on board with that. 100%. Right? But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to build community? Because although that's a feel-good feeling, we want to include people. There's a there's tactics, there's strategy, there's a skill set there. And that's what I'm setting out to explore right now. So still educating on Web3, but hopefully empowering Web3 businesses and projects to really lean into the skill set, community building skill set. Excellent. Okay, so this is a great transition to my next question, which is so many people listening right now fall into a couple different camps. They're either curious 
and wondering more about this NFT thing. Many people, however, are in the active learning phase where they're like, okay, this is fascinating. This whole concept of Web3 and NFTs, I want to learn as much as I can because I think this could be an important part of my future. Then you've got the people that are all in and they're like, I'm 100% diving into the deep end of the pool. But I think for the people that are not 100% all in, that are on the journey, the newbies that are listening right now, why is community development something we hear so much about? Why do you believe community development is so important for NFT projects? Community determines the value, the long-term value of projects. And when you start really learning about ownership, digital ownership, which again, is a simple sounding concept, but really understanding and wrapping your brain around what that actually means. It's fascinating. So I love the term holders. We call them NFT holders. And I love that because you physically think about somebody holding something, they decide how long they hold it. And that determines a lot of the value of the project. And that's driven by not only the product, right? What we're delivering as far as the utility, but also to the experience of the community, whether people really feel a sense of belonging, whether they jive with the mission, whether they have a voice, there's a lot of determining factors there of what really creates a valuable community. And so it's interesting because you know, used to, if I wanted to sell you the cell phone right here, that's like a one-time thing. You buy it, you don't, etc. But me selling you an NFT project, I'm essentially bringing you into a community and an experience, a membership essentially, that needs to continually give you value in order for you to hold it, right? And so there's a monetary reason why people are saying community is important for NFT projects because there's literally a value exchange there. Yeah. And the other side of it is, you know, I don't know how many NFTs you hold, but I hold a lot, probably 150 of them. And probably across 15 or 20 different communities. And I will tell you that, fascinatingly enough, some people with their projects work the community angle until mint day, and then they disappear. And then they're gone. Yes. Literally gone, right? And then there's some projects that are still super active despite the project maybe going down in value because we're in a bit of a bear market or a crypto winter, depending on what phraseology you like to use. But I think community is really something that those that listen to the social media marketing podcast understand those that come from a marketing background community is frankly critical this isn't a, if you build it they will come if anything i think now that we are going through a period of uncertainty community is going to be absolutely essential don't you agree of course and this is where the idea of you know differentiating between audience building and community building. And at first, when I was first started learning about all this, I kind of demonized audience building. I'm like, you know, Web3 is about building community, right? Like it was something superior. But the truth is, is we need both, right? We need to have an audience, especially as content creators and marketers, et cetera. But understanding the difference and the intention behind, you know, gathering people to consume something one time or be a passive participant versus bringing them in and facilitating engagement is completely different. And I think NFT projects specifically in this new model that we're, that we're leaning into requires the participation. It requires the engagement because again, it's not a one-time consumption thing of I'm going to buy this product for you and then I'm, I'm going to use it and I'm out. It's something that for the long-term value of it, you want your community to be engaged because they're actually helping drive that value. Cool. So we are here really to talk about specifically the newbies that 
the bigger audience, if you will, that doesn't understand the NFT industry and the marketplace and why this is so important. I'm probably getting a little bit ahead of myself by saying this, but let's just ask it this way. What are the barriers that are stopping people from actually deciding to get involved with an NFT project in the very first place? You know, and my guess is those some of those people are going to be complete newbies. Others are going to be people like you and me that have got a good year behind us. But there's there's, pro, you know, <laughs> and we're we're considered grizzled veterans, you know, because we've been at, at this for about a year. But, you know, the same issues probably get in the way of everyone. What is it about NFTs in particular that stop people from getting in? I think, you know, if you are a quote vet in this space, if you've been here for a while, you know, the the common things that people say, the misconceptions about NFTs, you know, it's just a JPEG that you can screenshot. It's a scam. It's a pyramid scheme. It's actually stealing from artists, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I've heard a variety of things and some of them are legitimate. Like, you know, they're expensive. The barrier to entry is insane when it comes like, come on, man, we're like setting up your wallet for the first time. Like it's wild. You really have to uh, be intentional with it and sit down and learn something new. Um, the environmental concerns, you know, with energy and so forth. So some of it is just misconceptions about NFTs and some of it is legitimate. I think it's not just us knowing what those concerns are, but us being willing to remind ourselves of where people are coming from and that those are top of mind issues and barriers for getting into the project. So I think there's a, you know, a huge missed opportunity for so many projects, so many businesses to focus heavily on newbie education and not just around selling their project, but just informing your community in general about the space, whether or not they engage with your product or not. Because there's so many people out there who would buy from you if you were willing to create content and be an advocate for NFT information in general. I think what's hard about that is if we're sold already, you and I are already sold. You don't have to convince us that Web3 is the future. You don't have to convince us to how to look at a project or some of the you know, different blockchains. We're fascinated with this stuff. I spent a couple of hours today just researching just because I'm interested in it. What's difficult is going back. And I, again, I hate saying dumbing things down, but bringing it back into an elementary, almost boring element to where we have to kind of remind ourselves how we felt at the very beginning. So what is a digital wallet, right? What is cryptocurrency? Yeah. So before we go there, let me ask you a couple of questions because I want to equip everybody with some actual talking points. So let's go through some of these objections. NFTs are a scam. Give me a talking point that we could, that anyone listening could use to counteract that one. And we'll go through a couple of them. How do you respond to NFTs are a scam if you're sharing it in your community and people respond back and say NFTs are a scam? What, what, what would be a reasonable response for someone? Understanding smart contracts. I think we start there. Understanding what a smart contract is and blockchain technology, right? So a lot of times we want to lead with our NFT project, that picture of that really cool penguin, right? As opposed to understanding the contract, the data, the tech that is behind that, okay? It's easy to promise something with utility without them understanding that there is a binding contract, a smart contract behind that. It's easy to just dismiss that as a scam. Okay, so you can tell people, hey, the promises that I'm particularly offering you are written into the smart contract, assuming they are. For example, the bulls and apes, project has a ETH back guarantee within a certain period of time. 
and it's written into their smart contract, which means you can log into their website, you can push a button that says refund, and you can get back your original purchase. And it's not a scam because it's in the contract. And if you know how to look at the contract, you can actually see that it's in there, right? And that would be an example of, this isn't just a money back guarantee promise. This is actually automated into the smart contract. And as a result, that's like, oh, extra information, right? Because, you know, so many people are just listening to what they're being told by other people, exactly, right? By people that might actually be threatened by this industry, right? Like traditional finance people that might say it's just a scam. Well, and let's be honest, there are some scams out there, right? And the other side of it might be, you might want to acknowledge it's true. There are some scams out there where people will take your money and run. And we call those rug pulls, right? But those are traditionally done by people that are not, that are anonymous. You don't know who they really are, right? And you know who I am. My reputation is on the line, presumably Project X founder, because you're putting your name out there. Why would I put my reputation at risk by doing a scam? So let's talk about environmental issues. Like, I'm curious to hear what your response is to that one. That they're right that there it is a problem and that there needs to be a lot of work to fix the issues. I mean, I, I will never deny that it uses a lot of energy, but I understand Ethereum too. I understand Polygon Network. I understand alternatives like Solana. And I think not dismissing people's concerns and being ignorant, saying, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal and arguing with them because you know anything about psychology. People will, when they start to become defensive, they actually are strengthening those neurological connections, right? But instead validating what they're saying and acknowledging it, but also to pointing to the solutions like some of these other platforms and the advances like with Ethereum too in different layers that are solving for that problem. One of the things that I saw Kevin Rose do in the Moonbirds project is he did a carbon offset for every Moonbird that was purchased or something like that on the initial mint. I'm not understanding exactly how all that works, but that seemed to satisfy a lot of people. Also, you could explain to people, hey, we're about to go to Ethereum 2 or whatever soon, and that's going to be far more energy efficient. But I also think you could explain to people why it uses so much energy, which is that this is a security check. Basically, like dozens of different servers around the world are authenticating that this is legitimately a transaction that should go through and that requires the use of electricity so with this extreme security comes more electricity consumption you don't get that in uh, when you're sending money to someone through paypal or venmo or something like that right so I would imagine you could kind of explain the why behind it, and that might also help people. Well, how about stolen art? You know, how do you want to respond to that one? Uh, it, I mean, again, yes, that happens. You know this to be true, Mike. This whole space is new, but it's also not new, right? It's it's business, it's marketing, even community building. A lot of this stuff that we're learning here about building community has been done for years. Uh, there's bad apples everywhere, right? And so, yeah, there are cases of people um, taking advantage of this tech and minting things that they shouldn't be minting or stealing artwork and so forth. And one of the problems of decentralization is, right, where's the cops that you call? Where's There's no call center. There's there's none of that in place. And so, again, I don't think us being, you know, ignorant to it and saying, hey, well, you know, this does happen, right? I think acknowledging it and then also to pointing to all of the mass amounts of good that's happening. And, and it's such a very, very small percentage. And nobody can deny that this stuff doesn't happen in real business as well. Yeah. And, you know, I would imagine one way you could counter circumvent this is to actually reveal or dox the artist. You know what I mean? And just say, look, here's the artist. Here's their style. You can go look at their stuff on Instagram or whatever. And we've hired her or him to do all this art for us, right? And then the... Um, <laughs> 
the last one is, well, I can just download your JPEG, you know, and I've got your NFT. We want to equip people with an answer to that as well. How would you respond to that? That goes back to the very beginning when you talked about it, it being a scam is, again, not understanding blockchain technology and smart contracts. I had somebody, a listener, tell me that they found us by Googling what is an NFT. And they said, before I Googled that, I wish I would have Googled what is Web3. And so I think stepping back and really understanding decentralization, blockchain technology, and so forth, again, that doesn't directly affect selling your specific project, but it's so generous and kind to step back and give people a broader picture of what this tech actually means and the implications of it before digging into the details of your project. I agree with that completely. And if I was just to riff a little bit on it, it's just an image, I would say, well... That's not true. And I would give an example of any project, you know, like Moonbirds or Bored Ape Yacht Club are the big ones that I think of off the top of my head. And you can explain, well, if it's just an image, then why did all these holders get all this Ape coin, which is worth a lot of money, right? And why did they get all these other benefits? So the image is just the representation of the actual thing. The thing is actually a bunch of code. Let's be intellectually honest, right? It's just like if you go into Costco and you buy a piece of software and then you open the box and it's a piece of paper and it just says, go to the website and enter in this code. Did you really buy the software from Costco or did you just buy the box, you know? And the software is online, right? And it's just like, I just came up with that on the fly, but it's a representation, a visual representation of what it is that's behind it, right? Just throwing that out there. hundred percent. Okay. So hopefully everyone took some notes there and you can be prepared with some common objections when you get people pissed at you that you're doing these kinds of things, because <laughs> trust me, it'll happen, you know? So let's talk about education, because if we're talking about bringing newbies into an NFT project as the big opportunity, right? Because the truth of the matter is, I think there's only 60 million crypto wallets out there, maybe a little bit more, but that's very small globally, right? And of those 60 million, the percent that's actually buying NFTs is even smaller. But if we think about the, the the global world of people that actually have access to digital money, if you will, which is the ability to send money back and forth with Venmo, PayPal, credit cards, it's, it's billions of people, right, that are transacting digitally online. And that's the opportunity. That's the mega opportunity. So what kind of stuff do we need to be thinking about when it comes to education and community building? Let's just kind of connect these dots a little bit. So and I want to make a lot of people mad saying this, but I think there's a big missed opportunity to not educate on traditional Web2 platforms like Facebook and LinkedIn, where the people are. Now, hold on a second. You said you're going to make a lot of people mad, but you realize you're talking to Web3 natives. You're not talking to the newbies, right? They've got to understand why you even said that. Why would you make someone mad by using Web2 platforms to educate about Web3? Because the traditional, I love saying traditional route, we've only been in this space for a couple of years, but we already have our way of doing things, right? Is to think, okay, if I'm going to start educating newbies, if I'm going to start building out a project in a community, I need to run to Twitter and Discord, which I am not arguing is the right thing to do. And there are so many people, potential holders, potential people for your community in some of these other places. And very few people are intentionally using these platforms, even though they're quote Web2, they're owned by corporation. I mean, so is Twitter. Come on, it's Web2 as well. I think we think it's Web3. <laughs> 
<laughs> and planting ourselves there and becoming a, a, a voice for Web3 and NFTs. I think that's a huge missed opportunity because again, if you want to draw people to your project, why compete with the exact same people that everybody else is competing for? All the people on Twitter, all the people in Discord, why not go to where the newbies are? I don't see many people doing that. I think that's a big flag right there. Again, to reiterate what I said earlier, spending intentional time with educational content that isn't necessarily going to draw people to your project. We're not going to lead with what you're selling and what you're excited about, but adding to the space and giving value by explaining some of the things that you and I talked about. I think those are some small things. And another thing too is just, you know, using things like POAPs. I think POAPs are a very interesting, small way to introduce people into Web3. There was this guy in our Discord, I thought it was brilliant, where he's a photographer. And at weddings, what he's doing is he'll take like a group photo or some monumental photo of the evening. And he obviously asked permission to the bride and groom beforehand, but will drop that PO app to everybody who was at the wedding. And all they have to do is click a link and receive that PO app. And they get this little keepsake for the wedding. What's so interesting about that is he, you know, added a little POAP utility there where he's saying, hey, you get a percentage off if you need family photos this fall, anybody who is there. So it's a little interesting advertising there using something that's free for him, free for them. And it kind of gets them used to this digital keepsake uh, that actually means something. Fascinating. Let's go back to the, because I did interrupt you when you were about to get rolling. Let's get back to the content or the educational side of things as well. Like what kind of content and where, you know, like let's just say we are not active on Twitter or Discord and we know the bigger communities might be Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, dot, 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 dot. So what kinds of content should we be creating? Let's start with that. And then how can that actually help develop a community as well? What is an NFT? What is the blockchain? What is decentralization? Are NFTs bad for the environment? How do I buy an NFT? What is a crypto wallet? These small little things that are barriers between getting people into this space, we need to be headlining content like that. It is crazy, Mike, <laughs> that our show did what it did with as little as we understood. And it's not you know, granted, we're good hosts and good timing, blah, 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 blah. But here's the truth. People are Googling this stuff. They are looking for these answers. You put out five posts like that, you're going to be getting a ton of comments. And then you return back to those comments and create content around those. It's never ending. Just return back to the basics. And remember, we're not pushing an agenda here. We're just educating people. If you become the bridge between a newbie and the Web3 world, they're going to be itching to know what you're creating and want to be a part of it because they built trust with you. And that's what community is about. I love this. So many people can, as a parallel analogy, they can think back to the first day they got on a major social platform and they didn't understand it. For me, it was Twitter was my very first platform. I did not understand Twitter. I was like, what the heck are people talking about cats and what they eat? And how do you do this little miniature blog in 140 characters. I didn't understand it just like no one else did, right? But I had someone show me how it worked. I had someone teach me how it works. And I also think about Clubhouse. I was very early in the Clubhouse 
And I remembered I wrote some articles and did some videos and all of a sudden everybody was looking to me as the clubhouse expert, even though I wasn't the clubhouse expert. So when you create something really useful that helps people jump from point A to point B, because they're, because it's a paradigm shifting technology, right? Just like social audio is like, what the heck is this? Like talk radio 2.0 or Twitter is like, what the heck is this? Like, I guarantee you the first day people were on Twitter, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it at all. Right. And it's the same thing with our parents. Like I remember when I got my parents an answering machine for the first time and they were like, what the heck is this thing? How does this work? Right. Or you think about the technology, like the microwave, you know, or the cordless telephone or the cell phone or the iPhone. Right. Imagine trying to teach your grandparents how to use an iPhone. Right. It's like, but once they get it, all of a sudden, you're the resource. You're the expert. Yes. Yeah. And from a tactical standpoint, it also does save you a lot of time in the long run, because if you've created a solid piece of content, I'm not talking about it has to be like super crazy produced, well done from your cell phone, good lighting, articulate, whatever. That is something you can return to over and over again when you're building your community and people come in like, what do you mean proof of work, proof of stake? What are you talking about? Oh, well, you know, here's this podcast episode that I did or whatever. And so you're gaining viewers and listeners that way. And returning back to that staple piece of content. So it's generous, but also is very time-saving whenever you're building out a community. Have you seen communities do this well? Have you been part of NFT projects that you feel like have done this well? I know Gary V tried really hard to do this. I think he's a great person to look to, you know, and he's, he's strategic in putting, you know, the V friends branding on everything, but also too, it's not specific to his project. I think there's a lot of projects that they're doing it well. I think where they could expand their efforts a little bit more is not being so specific to their work and what they're doing and have a broader conversation around it. Because usually it stops of how do you set up a MetaMask wallet, connect everything and purchase our NFT. And that's cool because people need to do it. But again, that's an agenda type education versus a broader conversation, which I think, again, goes back to that trust building and gives people a better context of what they're doing. And we want our community to be educated and informed because guess what? If they're the ones upholding the project, when things like the bear market happens and everybody's hitting the streets and panicking, when you've equipped your community with answers and the knowledge of the bigger picture, they're able to advocate for you in times like this. I will tell you that almost none of the projects that I own have done this well. This is really important for people to wrap their head around because I own a lot of projects that are very well known. The problem with not doing this well is you're now competing with buyers that own all sorts of other projects and they might sell your project to buy the next project. It's a tiny little pool. The opportunity to do this well, even if nobody buys your project, they're going to be aware of you and your project and they might get involved downstream, you know, and they might buy it on the secondary market when it's much more expensive and perhaps that is good for your project. But I do like the goodwill providing great educational content. So I want to go to the the pre-launch side of this. We've talked about community is everything. Community is important. So from your perspective, I would love to get some tips from you on how to develop a community before you launch. I guess my first question related to this is how early do you need to start developing a community? <laughs> that was the first point that I wrote down was like, start 30 days ago. Everyone like gets their project ready, their team ready, everything developed out and ready. And they're like, all right, it's time for lunch in like two weeks. It's time to build the community. Um, no, no. 
we don't need to have everything ready to build community. Um, in fact, I think you're you're doing yourself a disservice, not only from, you know, just building a community takes time, but also to the data and understanding what your people need and want and, and really understanding who they are. And we're robbing ourselves of that by not starting now and going ahead and talking to people. It takes so much work to put an FT project together. And I only have a tiny little team. You tell me I got to work months in advance. Like, talk to me about that. What good does it do to build out a product if you have no one to sell it to? I mean, that's just business one-on-one, right? You can spend all your time developing out a product, but if you haven't really done the market research and started building an identity and a presence, yeah, you might have something that's super badass, but it's going to be crickets when you get into the room. And that's what a lot of people are experiencing. And I think this goes back to the value proposition, which is the first thing that I wanted to touch on with community building with NFT projects is we lead with our projects a lot without really understanding the story and the mission behind them, which goes so much bigger than the project. And so you don't have to have your project ready to start talking about the culture and the thing that you're actually fighting for. And I think somebody who's done an incredible job of this is Yom from World of Women in the sense of when I think of World of Women, I think of equality. I think of raising up voices that are often heard. And that is the mission that they are fighting for Side note, there's an NFT project attached to that. And if we really understand why people are gathered here and it's more than just an NFT project, you can go ahead and start building community now. And guess what? Your community is going to actually be a lot stronger because in the ups and the downs of NFTs, right, we're going to be holding on to that mission. And people don't take the time to actually do that because, again, we're thinking about selling out, to your point earlier, versus building something that's lasting. Yom said, this isn't an NFT project. She said this at a VCon, I believe. This isn't an NFT project because projects have a beginning and an end. This is a brand. And we've got to look at our projects that way. Okay, so I love what you're talking about, about story and mission. So we should think about like, why would someone want to be part of whatever we're about to do and develop a story? Or maybe if you already have a story, you know, there's, everybody has a story. I mean, (laughs) I've covered it extensively on the social media marketing podcast. If anybody wants to live, I've had so many story experts on, but there's so many stories you could tell, right? Like about in the particular, in the case of world of women, how it's a male dominated industry in the NFT space. And we want to train up, perhaps that's their story. I don't know if it is, I am part of their galaxy, but I don't, it's such an active community. I can't keep up. Like I am part of crypto tech women and I know what their mission is to help people understand about the tech side of, you know, opportunities for women inside of NFTs. And it's a really clear story. And I met and I had on this show, uh, Gigi Scarlett, who's the founder of that. And I think that's super, super valuable. You know, from a timeline perspective, in your opinion, it seems to me that we ought to start mapping this out many, many months in advance and developing some sort of presence on the social platforms before we even formalize and launch an NFT? My favorite quote is action creates clarity. And we don't like that coming out of the gate because we want to be polished and pretty. But the truth is most people aren't paying as close of attention as we think that they are. And that's the hard part is getting people's attention, right? I would almost, if I, the the moment I have an idea, go ahead and start gathering a community. You can build branding later. You can start building out mission statements later, but there's no harm gathering people in a quote room, a digital room and going ahead and talking to them, throwing around ideas, sharing with them about your bigger mission in the why. Even if you don't have your project 
fully conceptualized and put together, those advocates, those people who you're building relationships now are going to help you carry the project through launch. And again, you can delete it later if you need to. I mean, crap, you can start a discord and get 100 people in the room and start talking to them. They're going to, if you decide to move to another platform later. So sooner than later is, is the answer for me. What other tips do you have for community building? Tracking growth and figuring out where we're at in relation to that mission, especially with the bear market right now. I think one of the biggest complaints that I've seen from communities is just the lack of communication, you know, and understandably leaders are like, what the hell, what are we going to do? What's going on? And so in that is a lot of just quietness, people not sharing what's going on in the project in relation to all the promises that they made. And you know what? Sometimes saying, I don't know, or we're still exactly where we're at is still communication, right? So tracking growth is really important, not only in bear markets, but also too, just to keep people engaged in the sense of, okay, this is our mission. This is exactly where we're at. I know Tom Bilyeu too talked a lot about, we interviewed him a couple of months ago, and he said that the question that he had to ask himself after he got his Discord launch and put out there is, why would people stay? What gratification are they personally getting? And so he pointed to gamification at that point. And we think a lot about gamification in the sense of people just doing raw, raw fun, like we're going to have these crazy badges that don't necessarily mean anything or get these bonus points and have these rankings in Discord. And that's an element of it. I think people like to have fun, but they also what is it? Who is it? Um, Tony Robbins, who says that happiness is, is growth, is progress. People want to know not only where the project is in relation to the long-term mission, but also to feel like they're advancing as human beings by being a part of our communities. There's this guy named Gabe Sickerman, I believe, who studied community motivation. And he said that there were four main things that kept communities engaged. Status. So silver, platinum, these tiers, essentially. Access, so access to the leader, access to certain channels, access to deeper levels of the community. Power, right? So they actually get a say in something. And then stuff. So swag, t-shirts, hoodies, all that stuff. What was interesting about that is he said that stuff, the swag, all the stuff that I think a lot of leaders lead with because it's easy (laughs) was the least motivating factor in getting communities engaged. It was actually the status access in the power, which goes back to that point of, of growth. People need to see that we're moving along, that the project's advancing and so are they. So when you say uh, tracking growth, what kind of growth are you tracking? It depends on the the project. It depends on the objective of the project. So somebody like World of Women, you know, they're wanting to give voices to artists and underrepresented groups sell their work. So actually them tracking the amount of artists that they have uh, sold or airdrop to their holders. And that's a way of tracking their mission, their project's purpose. As far as personal growth, I was talking to a project yesterday where they're helping individuals with their diet and helping them get healthy. And so them actually having a track of, you know, where were you at before engaging with our community? And what is the roadmap? What's the journey of where where we're taking you to? And where are you at in that? And if people aren't feeling like they're advancing, if they're drinking more water, like you said, that we were going to drink or having more accountability with snacking at night, those small little measurements are really important to keep people engaged and believing in your project. I want to talk about communication because I feel like this is a big one. 
I am an investor, I guess is the right phrase, in lots of projects where it was really exciting in the beginning and then it's crickets for like a long, long time, right? Especially now, it's as if the projects have literally disappeared. I think that sends a signal of fear to a lot of the holders, like why should I hold on to this project when they're not actively communicating? So talk to me about what you mean by active communication and maybe how we ought to think about that if we're launching an NFT project. It's generous of us to present projects as businesses, <laughs> that it's not just an NFT project, it's an NFT business. And so usually, again, back to World of Women, I think they're an exception. She was a freelance artist prior and didn't have a lot of business experience before. Usually when I'm looking at an NFT project, I'm asking myself, what is the experience of the leaders in the business world in the Web2 space? Because that builds a tenacity, a longevity that isn't learned easily, <laughs> right? And so I'm not saying that all projects that don't have a lot of experience in the leadership in business are going to fail necessarily. But I think it's a generous thing as far as you as a leader to point to that and educate people on the business decision that they're making with getting into NFT projects. That being said, to your point about communication, business leaders, people who have been in the game a long time, understand the importance of that. I think there's a lot of mentorship that needs to be done with these NFT founders who are excited because they know the lingo, they've maybe flipped a few things and they feel like they're a vet in this space and they made a really cool roadmap that they don't really understand they're in a business right now. Again, communication can be, I don't know. Communication can simply be, I'm still here. Communication can be, whoa, that took me by surprise. It takes a lot of humility. This is a leadership issue. It's not an NFT issue. I was trying to look up while you were talking. A great example of this is Moonbirds. Every Friday on Twitter Spaces, they go live and they have a name for it. And I can't remember the name of it. It's not like a town hall, but it's more like a, it is a little bit like a town hall where, where the founders go live on Twitter. They first give updates on where they're at, what the development projects they're working on with updates from various experiences that they've gone to. And, and there's an actual name for it, but Parliament, they call it Friday Parliament. And it's kind of cool. I don't know if, if the word parliament somehow and birds all goes together. I don't really know. But but every Friday they do this and then they open it up and they take any question from anyone. It's really cool that they do that live on Twitter. And then they also inside their Discord have private Q&A as well. They're, they're every Friday for an hour. And for me, as a holder of this project, I'm really encouraged because they're giving status updates, like hired new developers, hired some new artists, actively working on stuff we can't tell you about, but here's what we can tell you, dot, 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 right? And that like sends a sense of true transparency that I don't see with other projects. I do see with a few other projects, but not at the level that these folks have done it. And I feel like even just actively updating discords with announcements that are not like promotional giveaways and partnerships with other projects, I think are really, really important leading up to a launch and also obviously post-launch. I kind of get the sense you can never over-communicate. Do you feel that way, especially in a pre-launch? A hundred percent. I think this goes back to the audience building versus community building thing. We've been conditioned in Web 2, this kind of influencer thing, right? Of like, we need to have all the answers and we're just going to communicate with people and they're either going to like what we say or we don't, as opposed to really seeing this as a community. Now, definitely communities need leadership, but also too, they want to feel a part of the process. 
right? So they don't want to be left in the dark. They don't want to be lied to. They don't want to have a smoke screaming up when other things are going on. And that goes, dude, against our ego. That's really, really hard as leaders to be that transparent. I mean, to, to your point about they let people ask questions, that's brave in a market like this. A lot of people want to turn that off and not allow people to ask hard questions. But the fact that they're willing to do that says a lot about their leadership. Heather, I know that we've just scratched the surface of you and the podcast that you're launching or that you've already launched and all the projects you're working on. So why don't you tell people where they can reach out to you on the socials, where they can find your podcast and where they can find you? Sure. It's at Heather Parody, just like the joke, P-A-R, but spelled A-D-Y everywhere. And the show is Community Builders and Web3. We're bringing in Web3 experts, but also two people who have done the game really well in Web2 of building community. Because let me tell you, this has been a thing that we've been out at for hundreds and hundreds of years, building communities. And there's a lot of things we can learn looking out throughout history on community building that we can apply to Web3. Thank you so much, Heather, for coming on. This was awesome. Thank you. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C30. Hey, if you're new to the show, would you be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content? Also, I would love it if you would share this podcast with your friends. I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.